0: Chapter three of Pierre Adot's book, philosophy as a way of life is entitled spiritual exercises. And this is a concept that is absolutely central to Addo's work, both in this book and in the larger corpus. And so it's, it's worth sketching out. What does he actually mean by spiritual exercises? Why is he using that term and what is its connection to philosophy? And he begins that chapter by giving you an example of a spiritual exercise and and talking about that. And then he says spiritual exercises. The expression is a bit disconcerting for the contemporary reader. And he gives a few reasons for this. He he wants to explain why he's using this term. In the first place, it's no longer quite fashionable to use the word spiritual, but it's nevertheless necessary to use this term because none of the other adjectives we could use covers all the aspects of the reality we want to describe. We should point out that spiritual in in French and in English, there's a, you could say, wider range of meaning in French than there is in English, where it's a bit more restricted, in part because esprit means not just spirit, but also, So mind right so there's a a more cognitive sense involved here and Ado explores this and he says you know we could try psychic moral ethical intellectual of thought of the soul none of these are actually going to work as well as we'd like he says in these exercises it is thought which as it were takes itself as its own subject matter and seeks to modify itself so you know we could talk about thought exercises but the word thought does not indicate clearly enough that imagination and sense ability play a very important role in these exercises for the same reason we cannot be satisfied with intellectual exercises although such intellectual factors as definition division ratiocination reading investigation and rhetorical amplification play a large role in them so we've got there sort of like the cognitive intellectual side that works but there's more going on what if we switch gears and we talk about them as being ethical exercises? He says, well, this is tempting because the exercises in question contribute in a powerful way to the therapeutics of the passions and have to do with the conduct of life. But they also lead to a transformation of our vision of the world and a metamorphosis of our personality. So spiritual is apt to make us understand that these exercises are the result, not merely of thought, but the individual's entire psychism. And here's another point that he says, the word spiritual reveals the true dimensions of these exercises. By means of them, the individual raises himself up to the life of objective spirit. And here he's got a capital S. So you can think of it in sort of a Hegelian sense. He says, that is to say, he replaces himself within the perspective of the whole. And then he considers one other issue. The reader might say that that's fine. We'll accept the expression spiritual exercises, but are we talking about Ignatius of Loyola's exercitia spiritualia, spiritual exercises? What relationship is there between Ignatian meditations, the founder Jesuits, and this program of spiritual exercises in other places? And Hado says, listen, Ignatius's exercises are nothing but a Christian version of a Greco-Roman tradition. This idea and terminology are attested in early Latin Christianity, well before Ignatius of Loyola, they correspond to the Greek Christian term ascesis. In turn ascesis, which must be understood not as asceticism, but as the practice of spiritual exercises, already existed in the philosophical tradition of antiquity. So the goal for him is to go back to ancient philosophy, particularly that of the Hellenistic and Roman time, although he does also consider you know Plato and, and Aristotle as well and show what was actually going on there and show what's what's available for us in the present so we just because Ignatius of Loyola used that term doesn't mean that we're going back to him as a matter of fact Ignatius you could say is successful precisely because he's he's reinterpreting things within a Christian framework that other people were doing and that is escesis. You can call it asceticism if you want, but you have to understand that in the classical meaning of discipline and engaging in practices to change oneself. So if we go on and we look in some of the sections, particularly section one and section four, we get a lot more fleshing out of this. He tells us that in ancient philosophy, philosophy was not just teaching an abstract theory or just the exegesis of texts, but rather this is a term you'll see used a lot, the art of living a concrete attitude and determinative lifestyle, which engages the whole of existence. So this actually sounds rather existential, doesn't it? If you know about existential philosophy, and Ado is perfectly willing to say, yes, indeed, 19th and 20th century existentialist philosophy is doing at that time, what they were doing back in ancient philosophy. It might also sound to you like American pragmatism or the transcendentalists. It might also sound to you like a certain reading of what René Descartes is doing in his meditations, which he said, you know, don't breeze through and don't just read in part, but I actually carry these out as intellectual and spiritual meditation. So there's a lot involved in this art of living and Adol goes on and he says that this is not just on the cognitive level, but on that of the self, and of being, right? So he talks about reversals, he talks about conversion, he talks about reorientation. And this is a very significant part of philosophy carried out through spiritual exercises. They are supposed to not just make us feel the same thing as we already do, or function as a index of progress. They're supposed to change how we see things, how we feel things, how we behave, how we are. And so there's a progress that he talks about being made here. And it is a cognitive process learning something, right? He says it's a progress, which causes us to be more fully and makes us better. So it's not merely intellectual or cognitive, but it also has to do with what kind of being we enjoy and whether it's better or worse. So there are moral or ethical, and there are metaphysical or anthropological aspects to this from the very start. That's what a lot of ancient philosophy was engaged in, Hado argues quite persuasively. And so that's a key issue there. Later on in the fourth section. There's a, a great discussion. This is the section where he's talking about reading and writing and all that sort of stuff. Before he actually goes into that, he tells us that there is a profound unity. He says, both in the means employed and the ends pursued. So what, what are the means employed? Well, that's part of what he's talking about through this entire chapter, spiritual exercises. And here he tells us that among those, or you could say overarching with those are techniques of persuasion, dialectical and rhetorical techniques of persuasion, attempts at mastering inner dialogue. That's one way that Ado reads what's going on with all of these sort of mental exercises and tell yourself this in this sort of situation and think about what could be the case. And and all of that is mastering one's own inner dialogue what we nowadays call self-talk, right? And then mental concentration. This consists partly in attentiveness, but it consists in other things as well. These are not just, you know, you could say spiritual practices. These are things that are running through how we use spiritual practices. And why are we doing it? So some people might do spiritual practices just because they run across a text and they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm really bored. I need to do something let me try out these spiritual practices. (laughs) There's actually, if I remember, right, JD Salinger has somebody doing the Jesus prayer originally just to do it. Right. And that's, that's an example of a Christian spiritual practice. He talks about in one of his stories, but the ends pursued in ancient philosophy are not so trivial as killing time or hanging out with cool people and talking about stoicism or anything like that. It's to chain yourself. Self-realization, he talks about, and improvement. He also talks about self-formation or paideia to teach us how to live, right? So that's a key thing. You do spiritual exercises, not just for the sake of doing them or to get up on the leaderboards or to level up or anything like that. You do it because it's going to change your, your life. You're going to, it's going to change you in the process. And this brings us to another point that is kind of means and ends at the same time. He talks about living in conformity with human nature, not human prejudices and social conventions. So this is also part of that transformation. We move away from just taking our cues from our culture or our gut feelings or something like that. And we learn to say, I'm screwed up, man. I, I need to fix myself. There's some things I need to get straight about. And we have to have some sort of conception of what a genuinely good or realized or full human nature would be. Because looking around at the damaged beings that we, we see, they're not it, right? Right. Another key aspect that Ado says runs throughout there is a realization that much of our unhappiness stems from what he's calling here the enslavement to the passions, or we could say the affects. He says, In other words, people are unhappy because they desire things they may not be able to obtain since they're alien, exterior, and superfluous to them. It follows that happiness consists in independence, freedom, and autonomy, the return to the essential, that which is truly ourselves, right? And another thing that he says here that I think is really quite interesting and is is bound to lead to some misunderstandings with careless readers or hearers, is that every one of these philosophical schools and approaches presumes, or as he says, believed in the freedom of the will. Now, that's a term that a lot of people use in rather equivocal ways. Does it mean that you can, like, in any situation, choose exactly what you want and make it happen? No, but that's not what most philosophers have meant by that anyway. What does Ado mean here? He says that freedom of the will in this sense means that we can modify, improve, and realize ourselves. We have that possibility. We can apply ourselves, parts of ourselves, to ourselves to to change things for ourselves. So that is freedom of the will in some sense. And then he also talks about another key aspect, and this, again, ties in with means and perhaps with ends. We are not the sage. If we're philosophers, we are not at the final step Right? As a matter of fact, there may be in fact no sage out there. It may be a pure ideal. So he says the philosopher lives in an intermediate state. He is not a sage, but he is not a non sage either. He's torn between the non philosophical and the philosophical life, between the domain of the habitual and everyday and the domain of consciousness and lucidity. To the same extent that the philosophical life is equivalent to the practice of spiritual exercises, it is a tearing away from everyday life. It is a conversion, a transformation of one's vision, lifestyle, and behavior. But it's always something that is in process and there can not just be progress, but also backsliding or dry periods or whatever we want to say. But all of this ties in with why spiritual exercises are so important for philosophy conceived of as a way of living not just as an academic discipline does this apply to all philosophy Ado is perfectly willing to say no as a matter of fact a lot of what we call philosophy these days or have called it for centuries isn't this But we do see in ancient philosophy, ancient Western philosophy, but we can also talk about wisdom traditions in other places as well, definitely does fit into this and has a number of important aspects centering around spiritual practices. To bring this to a close, you might say for ancient philosophy, no spiritual practices put into effect, then no real philosophy as the art of living.